0: Phoenix is arising, look into the eyes and the hearts of lions, minds like diamonds, souls are igniting, illuminating the nightin' when you awake you can't be frightening, world's out of whack, but we got your back, you're a part of the pack, now let those wings flap, Welcome, fellow phoenixes, to the Spiritual Phoenix Podcast, where we make a daily offering to the divine by putting our past on the pyre, searching the smoke for spirituality, turning the ashes into art, adapting isolation into connection, and manifesting mental wellness. I'm Ross, and I'm an addict, and I'd like to uh, take a moment of silence for the addicts out there still sick and suffering, and um, those that we'd like to see find recovery. Okay, I've gotten a a couple quotes together, uh, more than a couple actually, and the first one is, every addiction starts with pain and ends with pain, and that was said by Eckhart Tolle. Addictions start out like magical pets, pocket monsters. They did extraordinary tricks, showed you things you hadn't seen, were fun, but came through some gradual dire alchemy to make decisions for you. Eventually, they were making your most crucial life decisions and they were less intelligent than goldfish." That was said by uh, William Gibson. It is impossible to understand addiction without asking what relief the addict finds or hopes to find in the drug or addictive behavior. That was said by Dr. Gabor Mate. I used to refer to my drug use as putting the monster in the box. I wanted to be less. So I took more. Simple as that. And that was said by Carrie Fisher. Drugs are not the way to the light. They won't lead to a fairy tale life. They lead to suffering. And that was said by Lane Staley from Alice in Chains. I don't do drugs. I am drugs. And that was said by Salvador Dali. Before I get into this topic, I'd like to state that in my opinion in my opinion, just because someone uses something, it doesn't make them an addict. Your personal beliefs about a specific substance don't make them any less addictive um, as addiction starts in the personality before a substance is used. I was addicted to my emotions and reactions long before I ever picked up a drug. My childhood was traumatic. It was hospitals, illness, allergies, my aunt's suicide, destabilization of my family unit, a tumultuous toxic relationship between my mother and father before as well as after their divorce. I used to blame my parents. Now I realize they did their best. Their intent was to give my brother and I the best lives possible. Dr. Gabor Mate links almost all issues we face to early childhood trauma. His definition of trauma is something that shouldn't have happened that did and something that didn't happen that should have. We all have been traumatized in some capacity in that regard. How much impact it has is a spectrum. Compared to many, my traumatic events would be non-consequential. However, it does not make the events of my life less traumatic to me as my life is the only one i have experienced and denying the trauma as it is was as it is as it was for me prevents the necessary healing let me state this now and i may refer back to it again later the part of addiction that is visible to others is the obsession and compulsion of specific actions. However, addiction is so much more than just the physical manifestation that others see. The bulk of the iceberg that is addiction lays under the surface. It is a thought process, a way of life, and it snowballs. It is my belief that all addiction and every addiction is more about finding external stimulation to release endogenous or internal chemicals or hormones. As I am not well versed in this, I will leave you to your own research and get into my story. Like most kids, my first external addiction was to sugar. Although modern culture seems to overlook this, it fits the definition of a drug, which is any kind of mind or mood altering chemical. I have read that sugar is one of the few, if not the only chemical that does not have diminishing returns in the pleasure center of the brain. A precursor to alcoholism, which is still a drug addiction, is a sugar addiction. When sugar is introduced to the body with caffeine, it increases the addiction rate, it increases the addiction rate of both. So my next addiction was to caffeine. The bulk of my childhood was in the 90s when it wasn't uncommon for kids to have a steady diet of junk food coupled with an abundance of TV and video games, all of which are addictions. So let's just do a quick recap of the addictions so far. Emotions, reactions, sugar, caffeine, junk food, TV, video games. And that was uh, probably by second or third grade I had established all of those. Let me explain how emotions and reactions fit into this. My emotions would surface when a certain need wasn't being met and the reaction would be intent on getting a result. As I was sick often as a child, I had a lot of attention. When that stopped, as I got better, my body had been wired for the same level of focus from others that was greatly reduced as it should have been, and my reactions were unconsciously intent on creating situations to fill those needs. So I would feign sickness, etc. to be the center of attention, another key concept of addiction. Looking back, it was around the time when my parents were divorced when my issues started to mutate. Although I had asthma growing up, the next thing I reached for was cigarettes in the third or fourth grade. My dad had remarried, so his attention was on my stepmother, and my mother was working full-time, running a household, etc. As a kid, I thought it was my fault, which is common. I wanted attention, so I began seeking it out in negative ways unintentionally. My brain was filled with chaos and confusion, and my grades began to plummet. I also began getting in trouble in school, which I think creates more more problems, meaning school creates more problems, and I'll do an episode on the public indoctrination, I mean education system sometime in the future. When the grades began to dip is also when I started breaking the law. I started vandalizing things, which led me into my first experience with the police in the sixth grade. Although it wasn't school related, I was pulled out of class with my peers, called to the principal's office, Questions without my parents there, which if I am not mistaken is illegal, and put on probation. This event led to the distrust of authority, which was already on shaky ground due to my home life and the inconsistencies there. My feelings, responses, thoughts, words, etc. were all invalidated, my family was too busy for me, and I had this malignant spiritual cancer growing inside of me. My first real love was pot, which I tried in the 7th grade which I got in trouble the first time I tried it. I didn't get caught smoking it, but it was my foolish behavior uh, that got me caught. Next would be alcohol, as it was more easily available. With my family busy, I began to draw inward more and more. The more trouble I got in, the more I was told I could do better when I was already doing my best, the more my feelings were invalidated, the more I was punished for speaking my truth, the further I ran from my family. I learned I was stupid, I learned my feelings didn't matter. I learned my opinions were pointless. I learned I was worthless. Eventually, in school, I found a group a group of people who accepted me, and guess what they liked to drink. The first time I actually got drunk, I was at my friend's house. At a friend's house my freshman year of high school. His buddies had me bonging shots of vodka and drinking beers. And I, I did this to fit in because I thought it was cool and I, I wanted to be cool like everybody. Um, we eventually got kicked out of his house by his parents. They didn't call our parents. They just kicked us out. Um, and that was in the middle of the night. And the issue was it was February in Ohio. It was cold, there was snow on the ground, and not wanting to get caught, me and a few other buddies decided to wait until morning and then go home. So my friends led my blacked out young mind behind a department store where we slept under a frozen mattress speckled with mud and covered with broken glass. At one point, a garbage man came to the empty trash bin next to the mattress. My friends abandoned me, and when he came up, the driver asked me if I was okay, and I told him, yeah, I'm fine. Everything in that sentence sums up my life experience in addiction, being abandoned and saying I'm fine when I'm clearly not. I managed to escape that situation without being caught. Next, I got into drinking cough medicine to robo-trip. Um, as it was a better buzz than booze and something different. This was also around the time I was introduced to poetry and told I was good at something. I had a way to express myself in a positive manner that couldn't be right or wrong, but I wouldn't develop this until later. Um, And part of the reason I didn't develop it was because I thought it was stupid. I thought it was feminine. I thought that people would make fun of my expression because I had always been told I wasn't good at something. So I would write my poems and keep them to myself mainly. I will, I will give this quick summary before I speed up the reel of addiction and hit key points for time's sakes. After a night of blackout drinking and think I, I escaped without being caught, I showered and then came across my dad. He told me I needed to clean up my act. I said, I just showered. What more do you want? He had then explained he found me on the steps covered in puke, had to change my clothes and uh, wash the puke off of me. I don't remember any of it. And that was around the age of 15. So pretty much I'm going to cover about 17 years of my life in the next little bit. Just hitting the, the key points. There's a whole lot of other darkness and, and uh And depravity there, but for time's sake, I'll hit the key points. I was put into rehab the first time for pot in December of 2000. I made it through with fake urine, some dirty pee tests, etc. I was introduced to my first 12-step program, which was full of Jesus junkies who didn't know what the hell they were talking about, in my opinion. And I had a lot of difficulty overcoming my experiences with recovery early on, um, especially when I tried recovery later on in life. Um, Senior year, the fall of 2001, I was arrested in school with pot and again questioned by the police without a parent present. I lost total trust in the police and realized that the Bill of Rights and Constitution were shredded. This questioning of authority was furthered by the legality of pot and being being in the same classification as crack and heroin. And I think that that's one of the things that leads to a lot of misconceptions about pot is the, the legality of it and how it's classified. And I, I mean, I won't say that it isn't safer than crack or heroin or things like that, but it has subversive dangers in it, especially when people have the mindset that it's quote unquote safe. And it may be safe for therapeutic use, but the issue becomes therapeutic use does not mean using it whenever and a lot of people myself and I say this from my own personal experience I used to say I use it medicinally and I was self-medicating with it certainly but medicine medicine is prescribed by a doctor and it's taken appropriately if anybody was on a quote-unquote medicine and they took it whenever they wanted whenever they felt a certain way that's drug abuse. If it was any other drug, people would view it as drug abuse. I'm not anti-pot. I think it should be legal, and I think that it should be used medicinally. But if, if people want to get high, just say you want to get high. Don't say it's medicine. I'll, I'll do an episode on that at some point, too. Um, through drug court, I was put back in rehab, which I got kicked out of. I, uh, I got kicked out of the rehab the second time I was in it. I was locked up three times for dirty urine in the juvenile detention center. And for the last visit, I was locked up. For the last visit, I was locked up. When they asked me what school I was in, I told them college. And they locked me up for dirty pee um, when I was going to college. And granted, I don't think I would have stuck with college anyhow. But that shows one of the big issues with, with the system. I was trying to get better, and I was trying to heal myself. And they they locked me up. I was trying to progress my life. And that's one issue I have with them jailing nonviolent drug offenders is these people are already going through shit. They already don't know how to deal with life. And then these people are put in to the system that profits off of bodies in there. I forget the statistic of people that are in jail or prison that are nonviolent drug offenders, but it's astronomical. It's overwhelming. And then These people sometimes get sentences that are longer than rapists or violent criminals. And also, when they get out, they they still haven't paid off their dues. They have to pay court fees, even though they've lost years of their lives. If they they have a a mark on the record, um, and then they want them to bounce back and become part of society when they're blacklisted from jobs, when they're completely demoralized, when they're stigmatized, and then they have to pay this money that they don't have after being locked up. And then when they're... Taxes pay for court and all this stuff, but when they are put on house arrest, they then on top of everything else they have to pay, have to pay for the ankle bracelets. There are certain countries that have legalized drugs, and their policy when people is addicted to drugs is recovery therapy, and it's talked about in the open, and it's not shunned, and believe it or not, addiction rates, like all those things, are plummeting, plummeting, Uh, Back to my story. At one point, my mom caught me using fake pee when I was in drug court. And I told her I would kill myself before I was locked up again. And and I said that because I was harassed and picked on, etc. At one point when I was locked up, I was picked on by my cellmate for my pillow. He wanted to fight me. I refused to fight him and told him just to take my pillow. And that's, that's... I mean... This system chewed me up and spit me out at a young age, and it, it didn't resolve the, the problem, it made it worse for me. Like, And I realized that it was my perception at the time, but the thing is when, when people are in those situations, sometimes it doesn't cause them to wake up. And you'll see in my story how how I progressively went through similar situations. In drug court, I started to experiment with drugs that wouldn't stay in my system or show up at all. Um, Actually, I had experienced, uh, messed around with these prior to drug court. I I miswrote this in my timeline. I tried ecstasy and LSD when I was first put into rehab. Um, The nine-month program of drug court took me almost two years to complete because I couldn't stop using The day I went to graduation from drug court, I was stoned. My addiction had also grown to women and sex. Love affects the same part of the brain as cocaine addiction and when my source, my ex Lisa, would break up with me, I would try to find that new fix in another. Usually after sex, I would lose interest in the women because they weren't enough. Another key thing to note about my sex life is I had to use to have sex otherwise i would be overly critical of myself and that started from my first sexual experience uh, up until i got sober um but i should say when i stopped drinking in california um and then i had a whole lot of issues because i was so uncomfortable with myself and the medication for my mental health stuff caused some male problems um and looking at that, it makes me so sad that my intimacy was based upon using a substance to feel comfortable because I lost so much of the genuine connection that, that's supposed to be there. And I, I mean, that's likely part of the reason why i viewed used so many women and treated them like crap beyond addiction and being self-centered, egotistical, and just a prick. During this time, I used booze, LSD, shrooms, some pills, ecstasy, LSA, cough syrup, and salvia, and this was after drug court, I I used all those things. Thankfully, I never tried oxycodone, heroin, crack, or meth because my life became a train wreck without them. And one thing that stuck with me during that time is uh, oxycodone was becoming, becoming popular at that time and one of the uh, neighbors, he was older, he was like 22, he was next to my buddy's house where we partied. He had a buddy who was brain dead from using Oxycontin and he came over and he said, if I ever see you guys using that stuff, I will kick the shit out of you. And a lot of my friends went down that road and they had horrible experiences with it. Um, There was a lot of people in my life that did those kind of drugs. And I'm not saying I'm better because I didn't. I, I I went to the same level of depravity that some people do on way harder drugs. And I don't blame the pot for it. I don't blame the substances for where they took me. I blame me for it. I blame my addiction. Because um, some people can use those things and be fine and good for them. Like It's not that I, I don't like drugs. I obviously do, otherwise I wouldn't have done them for so long. It's that I, I become inefficient at life, I become miserable, I lose who I am, and I, I hate myself and I do horrible, horrible things when I'm using. I love myself now. I don't wanna trade that in. I don't need, I don't need to get baked to feel good about myself now. I don't need to get baked to deal with situations. Um, I'll get back into my story. I uh, dabbled with coke for a bit, but it wasn't my thing. I didn't need to be more than. I wanted to suppress who I was. I was always too much for everybody. Alcohol let me be comfortable with being more when I otherwise couldn't. And that was my thing. I didn't really care for uppers. Um, If you haven't noticed um, by listening to some of my things, I, I tend to be very outspoken, I tend to be very energetic. Um, I'm a very high energy person, and when I was like that when I was younger, I was told to suppress it, I was told to be quiet, I was told I was too much. And that's happened in so many different relationships in my life, and I'll say this, there are times when I'm too much even for me, but shaming somebody for being themselves is a horrible thing to do because it creates so much trauma. That's stuff that people have to see for themselves and fix because otherwise they're going to entrench themselves and their beliefs. They're going to to continually perpetuate it. If you want to, if you want to have somebody become aware of their stuff, maybe try Socratic reasoning, where you pose a question and then they realize the own inconsistencies in their own thought patterns. Um, I share the next story to illustrate the insanity of my addiction. And this is just one of the more prevalent examples. Um, After completing the classroom portion of culinary school, I planned a road trip from Ohio to Las Vegas, Nevada, where I did my culinary externship. The road trip was based on fear-loathing in Las Vegas. And although I didn't have the exact suitcase full of substances, it was a road trip, for sure. With a quarter pound of Mexican brickweed, an ounce of shrooms, and some Xanax, uh, the Xanax was to help the anxiety on the come up of the shrooms, a friend and I set off on my vision quest. At one point, my friend and I woke up at a gas station, not sure who had driven last, to a dead car. We couldn't get it started, and we tried to get help. Not one upstand quote-unquote, I say quote-unquote, upstanding citizen would help us, in part because my pupils took up most of my eye, and, and I had a candy bar wrapper sticking outside of my hat, which I found out after asking about three people. But I, I tried to get people to jump my car. I, I tried to borrow jumper cables from the gas station. The gas station said he could only sell them, and the people with the vehicles said that they wouldn't do it because they didn't want to ruin their car batteries which I don't know if that's possible to do it from jumping, but what it actually seemed more like is I was an untouchable. I I wasn't worth helping. The one who helped us was a man in a beat-up van with four bald tires. He was switching one bald tire for one that was a little less bald. He jumped the car, and when I asked him if he wanted a soda, and he declined it, I asked him if he wanted some pot. He said no. He he didn't do it anymore. Just meth. Looking back, I see one key concept that helps me to this day in that situation. One addict helping another. At that time, though, it was back on the road. I actually did write about a page or so in my journal at the time about how how much respect I had for this person. I had never encountered somebody that still used meth at at that time in my life or that I knew who used meth. Um, And I sometimes get a negative concept of meth users. I've met many people in my life that have used meth. I've met many people that have done lots of different drugs in my life. They weren't necessarily bad people. They might have done some some grimy things. Who hasn't? I certainly can't say that that I haven't. And so back onto the story, about 30 hours of straight driving later, and I'm estimating that uh, upon leaving a gas station, every emergency light imaginable came on in my car. I assumed that it wasn't a big deal. And when my car died, just as I miraculously pulled it into a parking space at a rest stop, I had no concerns. I ate more shrooms and wandered into the woods with my friend another perfect example of my san- insanity, and another perfect analogy for my for my disease. Um, every single emergency light had come on at that point in my life for how far gone I had been. People had uh, told me about my addiction issues. People had told me about my problems. I couldn't see it. I couldn't accept it. People even told me when I was younger that people only use to either feel something or cover up something and I was like I don't I just use it to be happy like I don't understand what the hell you're talking about looking back I used it to cover up everything I felt and eventually I used it to deal with everything I had to use to do anything when I lived in Vegas I would I would uh, smoke before I went to the store anytime I went in my car somewhere I would smoke I mean, when I was in rehab the first time, I had a bong under my seat that I drove around with and hit the bong. Like, that was like attached to me at the wrist. I eventually made it to Vegas, started the job that I was doing my externship at, and stayed at my dad's while he was out of town. A few days after he got back from vacation with my stepmother and my half-brother, who was uh, probably only five or six at the time, we had an argument. He found the remaining ounce and a half or two or two ounces in my in my bags. I was 22 and I was furious that I was having him go through my stuff. The argument was heated. He told me I was crazy as I moved all my stuff out and told him I would rather be homeless than in that situation. Till between my legs, I moved my stuff back into his house. Shortly thereafter, I found a temporary place to stay while I saved up money for an apartment. Drugs, drugs, booze, women filled up my time after this, after I got the apartment. At one point, a friend and I from uh, Red Rock Station Casino, um, we drove to Zion National Park from Las Vegas. The last memory that I had that night was leaving Las Vegas. Uh, we were drinking and we had a, bottle, a fifth of Jack Daniels and some weed. I woke up on a rock in an area where mountain lions roam. Issues surfaced at work as my ego flourished. I ended up no calling, no showing for work when someone else got the promotion I was promised. That day I ate acid and was in the bath when I was told I was fired and I didn't care. I started dating uh, one of my former girlfriends that day, even though she was about 2,000 some miles away. Another key concept of my addiction, the only commitment I could make to women was on drugs. Uh, my previous relationship and the one in Las Vegas were both un- under the influence of LSD. Were both formed under the influence of LSD, I should say. The only other committed relationship I had was under the influence of alcohol and weed. The woman I dated lived in Ohio and she moved out eventually. Drugs, booze, and self-obsession ruined that relationship before it began. After bouncing around jobs for a while, I got a DUI on my way home On my way home from work to get more drunk because I was, and I got pulled over because I was singing Incubus, swerved a little left of center, and was speeding. They didn't bust me for the pipe in my car. You would think a weekend in jail would be a wake up call. It wasn't. The girlfriend and I broke up probably about six, seven months later, and I decided to move out of town because every corner reminded me of my loneliness. She was on every breath. I was addicted to her. I even have a song I wrote about her at that time that talks about her like heroin. On my drive up to Washington State from Las Vegas, that's where I chose to leave to, um, I was pulled over for speeding, speeding and giving a DUI, DWI rather, which is driving while intoxicated, for pot. They didn't find the shrooms in my car, thankfully, because that's a federal offense. I got my DWI on a suspended license for a DUI, and there was a warrant out for my arrest for for a, a no call for not showing up to court for the first one. I had to call my family to bail me out of jail then, and then I had to drive from Jackpot, Nevada, to North of Seattle on a suspended license. I think it's like a 12 or 14, maybe even 18 hour drive from where I was at to where I was going. I cleared my mind Up for a time there. Then it reverted back to old ways and ended up quitting that job a week before it was over. And uh, I quit that job because they had, it was a summer camp. I was running a kitchen for a summer camp for mentally disabled and disadvantaged teens. And the last week there, they had uh, children of fetal alcohol syndrome. And the parents there were, wanted all this extra special attention to their kids and I realized that partly it was in part because of the guilt they had for what they caused. And it made me so furious because I got paid the same and they wanted me to sacrifice the little free time that I did get there to do things special because they couldn't quit drinking for nine months. And understanding addiction now, I understand that they likely couldn't stop. And it wasn't that they didn't want to or didn't want to give their children the best life addiction makes people do shitty things and it makes them create a a whole realm of chaos around them and it impacts everybody in their life and I have sympathy for those I shouldn't say sympathy I have empathy for those people now sympathy is a horrible thing to have because it makes you look down on people and it makes you look makes you elevate you empathy keeps you on the same level you go down into the depths with them and try to pull them back up to the baseline where everybody should be standing where everybody is in reality some people like to be on their pedestal not the case um so i quit that job a week before it was over and i lived in my car and uh i mean i tried to sleep in the woods one night but i was too damn paranoid because there were so many tweakers in that area and uh it was pitch black so i slept in my car um And then I did that for a few days before a friend I had made at that camp and I traveled down the coast to live on the beaches of Northern California. I spent the little bit of money that I had had left on a guitar, gas, weed, and booze. My mother sent me out money when I ran out after I was forced forced to get a week-to-week room because it was cold and rainy as it is in Northern California. And granted, it was September... Um, end of August September but that's when it starts getting cold I mean where I lived in California this is where I stayed at then too Um, I think the average temperature is like 60 65 and I think the hottest it ever got in the summer when I was there was in the mid 70s but there's a cool ocean breeze because it's right on the Pacific Um, so she sent me money for the week-to-week room I got it and although I should have been getting food I spent most of it again on booze and pot and hash Um, I ate from a food bank one of the best fish tacos I ever had was a uh, stale flour tortilla with uh, canned tuna which I don't like canned tuna (laughs) and that was all it was but it was delicious because I was starving the time I spent looking for a job I I should have spent looking for a job was spent getting high Um, I did get a job and I, I quit it within that day because they wanted me to learn how to do stuff I had never been shown how to do and nobody would take the time to show me or tell me anything and I quit because it's never how I've been shown anything and the only other time I was in a position in a job like that somebody told me to do something how I did it and I did it how I did it and then he told me I was wrong and I was like you didn't tell me like all you had to do was show me how you wanted it Eventually, I ended up back in Vegas, back in Ohio, back to Vegas, and back to Ohio. I had to face the music of the DWI and DUI all being charged as one, and I had to go out to Jackpot, Nevada again with my mom, and I got drunk the night before. They gave me a slap on the wrist with nine months non-reporting probation. It might have been a year and a half. I don't remember exactly how, how long the non-reporting probation in. Was but it couldn't be reporting probation, because I it was in Nevada and I lived in Ohio. Um, they gave me a fine and put me on house arrest and also gave me community service. I saved up money during that time and then I moved to Humboldt County, California, which was pretty much uh, filled with excess booze and weed, toxic and toxic relationships. After working two months. After working two months, I left to work on a pot farm. I soiled that opportunity by being drunk on whiskey or too high to trim properly. I left, and plus I had so much anxiety about not paying my rent or not getting things paid that I felt that I would be insecure. Um, I thought my living situation would be insecure. And at that time I had about three experiences where I didn't have reliable housing I guess because in Vegas I stayed at a friend's house a friend of a friend's house so that was kind of rocky and then in Washington I lived in my car for a bit and then in California I slept on the beach um in baseball fields, and stuff like that until eventually I I got a room thanks to the help of my mother um so I left the pot farm and after a, a few days I found that I had quit my job before I left to go to work on the pot farm in a blackout, and I didn't take time off, although I thought I had. I groveled and got it back, got my job back eventually, but as a dishwasher, even though at the time I had around a decade of cooking experience. This time can be summarized by booze and pot. During a bender, and the other thing was shrooms. I did a lot of shrooms in that time, and a lot of shrooms by myself in my apartment. During a bender, I moved to the Florida Keys. Pot was hard to come by down there, and alcohol was king. They have what's called the Keys disease down in the Florida Keys, and uh, that's where you're drunk all the time, and that really is what I was. I was, I won't say it's paradise, I was in a very nice, uh, aesthetically pleasing location, but it was hell for me. Part of that was due to the fact that the job that I worked at was on, it was at like a three or four diamond resort, Every, the housing was on the island. Um, the food that I got, they they had free meals there for the for the people that stayed in the housing. Um, and it was leftover food from the restaurant. Sometimes it was bad. And then if I wanted to get off of there and go to the store, I had to pay for the bus. And if I wanted to get stuff from the store there, I had to pay about 2 or $3, sometimes more, than I would at the other store. So it was like modern-day serfdom. Um, so I ended up quitting that job, and I was homeless for a bit. I tried to move to Key West again during a bender. Eventually, I uh, was able to stay with somebody on their couch. And, and the, then that eventually led to an apartment. Um, I was drunk every day i was too drunk to even play video games most days um and i i I just hated life i eventually moved back to cali and for about a month or two i lived in a studio apartment with two other buddies we had just enough room between the beds to walk ate one meal a day called scramble which was just a meal cooked in one pan mostly with eggs and and spent most days in bed drinking drugging and playing video games we got all got a proper place together um, and I got my job back at uh, the restaurant we all got a place together and that time can be summarized by shrooms pot and booze the fallout of that place left everyone going separate ways I was facing homelessness yet again, and I ended up sleeping on a coworker's floor, drunk, stoned, and too afraid to leave my room. I didn't talk to them, I just stayed there petrified because by this time, I had such crippling social anxiety. I hated myself. I was miserable. Um, I couldn't survive with, without being stoned or drinking. Like I, I was living in a hell that I created. Eventually, I met a woman who I had my last serious relationship with, and I agreed to date her while drunk. It was a bad relationship for us both, and I was addicted to her immediately. Everyone saw how bad the relationship was but me. Even after I broke my hand from punching a brick wall during a fight, I rationalized that things were okay. Um, And There were times where I wanted to get away from her, but the thing was... I had such an ego that I viewed myself as her savior or that like she needed me, that I couldn't abandon her. Um, And I couldn't picture life without her because I thought nobody else could love me. I thought nobody could love me. Um, I can't stress that enough, like that was so true to me. We eventually stopped drinking but didn't quit smoking and we were both miserable. I can remember walking around Eureka at one point and we saw all these happy people that didn't seem like drunks and we said you know we are miserable drinking and we're miserable not drinking where where do we fit in um tension in the relationship and not having my usual routes of escapism led me to the psych ward and the end of our relationship and back to ohio the day that i i the evening night that i ended up being taken to the psych ward, I actually had the concept of getting a beer. And I wonder if that could have diffused some of the situation. Um, I'll never know. Um, But I didn't, I didn't drink it because I didn't want to turn my back on the commitment that I made to her. And that's one thing about that relationship. That's when I started to wake up to my problems and granted it was a process and i talked before about how the mental health thing was the start of my spiritual awakening but the thing is when that awakening happened i i lost myself completely for a while and it was i was in the dark night of the soul for for a while and this is really when the dark night of the soul starts for me i know the other stuff might have sounded dark but Um, For a time after I moved back, and this is after being in the psych ward, being stigmatized, being further removed from society, being told that I'm crazy, being told that I have to take this medication that zombifies me so I don't lose my shit and think that I am God or all this other crazy shit that I thought. One of the things I thought then was that I was going to be a famous science fiction writer and that these people from the future had sent something down to save me because I was the savior of the human race. And it was all numbers and fractals. And I, I stayed up nights just writing in my notebook, writing nonsense, uh, scribbling. Um, and there was a lot of real insight in there and there was a lot of mixed signals. Um, one of the things too that's odd about this time, and I just touch on this because I don't know if I mentioned it. I wrote a story either before or during the time that I was mentally ill, and it predicted everything that went down almost verbatim um when i got when I had my mental breakdown with me being picked up me being put somewhere me not knowing. I, I didn't know who I was at one point when I was in the back of the cop car on the way to the psych ward that time. Um, and I was put in the cop car not because I was being violent, but because I was wandering down the street and they didn't want me to get hit by a car. Um, I gave up on abstaining from booze when I was back in Ohio, stopped taking the mental health meds and went back to work. I didn't hold that job, job that long before I left. Shortly after starting another job, I got my third DUI. However, I didn't go to jail that time. I quit that job and without real money for pot, I spent the last of my money buying various herbs um, with some minute psychoactive properties. Um, They were all legal herbs too. Being the good addict, I say that um, sarcastically, I was, I attempted to figure out how to make them as potent as possible. I boiled them, reduced them down, and mixed them up. The effects were strange and intensified when I could smoke a little pot with them. However, one was implicitly stated to not be smoked with weed. This led to about 9 or 12 months of psychosis. After almost dying many times and trying to quit both pot and booze, I put myself into a 12-step program, but left shortly thereafter. And part of the reason I left was because I couldn't quit smoking the weed. And the weed made me still so anxious, made me think nobody wanted me. It made it difficult to talk about my experiences. I needed more time to heal before I was ready. Um, And with my psychosis, A DUI class and a power higher than me, or my psychosis, a DUI class and a power higher than me, removed some of my obsession to drink. The love of pot was still there though. And I say my psychosis helped me because when I was in my DUI class, the people in there looked like demons at times. Their eyes would shift and turn black like in uh, Supernatural or whatever. And it was... My my mind was basically telling me, if you continue down this path of drinking and you don't learn something from this, we're going to continually scare the shit out of you until you get your head right. And that's one thing that still is peculiar to me. Like it was a wake up call and then my psychosis literally led me to getting better in some ways it was healing me which is why I think that it's more relative to a spiritual thing than than that but I I digress um so my love of pot was still there after that and around that time I met a platonic friend started a job and then through starting the job lost contact with her I quit the job um or no, my dog died then I quit my job that was my pug that I had for he would have been 16 uh had he lived about a couple more months. But he was old, he needed to go, and... I mean, he went when he was supposed to. I still miss you, Stubby, you you were a good buddy. You were my rogue dog. You partied more than some people, you love the weed. Um, I digress, and I, I shouldn't do that to animals. I don't support it. Um, but I lost contact with her, quit the job, my dog died, I got depressed, and I think that is a country song. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing but a little bit of humor to take up that darkness or balance it out. Anyhow, last year, um, that would be last February, I got a dog from the pound. That's my dog that I have now, Rookie, Rookie Apuchki. Um, st- started to focus on recovery for mental health. Um, and during when I started getting focused on recovery, I kept having this recurring thought. Would you give up weed? In order to do what you want to do, which was help people with um, alcoholism or addiction issues and mental health. Because I don't ever, I want to do what I can to let people know they can recover. They don't have to feel so isolated. that there is another way than that and that they can get better. Like, I don't ever want people to feel as isolated and broken and damaged and hate themselves and hate the world. And, and just being so much pain like I was if if my experiences can help somebody then they weren't for nothing um so let me get back to where I was okay so I reconnected with the same woman from the year before and feelings for her developed uh, emotions broiled over when she became distant and I can understand why she became distant because part of me that needed work was still there and uh everything happened like it should um not drinking in this time I mean I would have a drink or two but I never wanted to get have more than a few um not drinking this time allowed me to see who I had become and I didn't like it uh, around her birthday I told her I would show her change the last substantial amount her and I really uh that was the last time her and I really spent any substantial time together Um, the following day, I felt like I had before I ended up in the psych ward the first time. I knew I had to do something. And that day, the last day I drank, and, um, I had given her all my pot the day before on her birthday. Um, September 1st, I went over, uh, a friend's house. We smoked some weed. They had some beer. Um, I had a beer for breakfast, and it didn't feel right to me, and he had said, like, I hope I'm not imposing anything on you the wrong way. I know that you said that you have an alcohol problem, and uh, I didn't pay any attention to it, and then I left, and I went home, and I was stuck with me, who I was always trying to escape from, who I was always trying to run from, and I didn't have my good friend marijuana. And I went and I got a double deuce of Heineken that night. And I drank that beer and I said, fuck, this this is where everything stemmed from. This is what has ruined every relationship. This is what caused me to get arrested. This is what's put me in jail. This is what's destroyed my life and made me miserable. And the following day, uh, no. (laughs) Oh, the following day, I felt like I—I I already said that part. I knew I had to do something. I went to a twelve-step a program uh, the next day, and that was um, September second of twenty sixteen. That day someone told me, an old timer, told me to sit down, shut up, listen, and do what people tell you. If you are going to get sober, you can't use any substance, even pot. You need a sponsor, and you have to do the work. Otherwise, you're wasting all of our time. My road to recovery was nice, then it got dark, but when the darkness came, I didn't run away. I sat in it, let it pass, and I grew. Each time a shadow was cast, I learned more. They lasted less, and I became stronger. I don't have recovery down pat, but I tell you what I have done to get, to have gone from psych wards, blackouts, misery, social anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, um, the depths uh, of, of pain, like. I I was miserable, I, I should throw jails in there too, and house arrest and all that stuff, rehabs. I was, and I'll just tell you what I was addicted to again real quick. I was addicted to emotions, reactions, cigarettes, booze, pot, TV, video games, women's, sex. I was a liar, a thief, I used women, I cheated on them, I ripped off friends, employers, I was afraid of my own shadow and I didn't like who I was at all. I'll tell you how I recovered now so I can shine some sunlight on on this train wreck of a a story. Um, The first thing that helped me recover was mental health meds and that was hard for me to say because when I started taking them I was anti-medication. I needed them to restore the imbalance my drug use had created. Part of that imbalance, too, was due to poor diet because I ate like crap. I would only eat once a day sometimes, if that. And I would leach all those chemicals or all the nutrients and things out of my system with booze. The second thing that helped me was therapy. Uh, The third was support from loved ones. Uh, The fourth thing that's helped me in recovery was admission of my problem. The fifth thing that helped me in my recovery was the belief In a higher powers ability to cure me and that's the thing too I started out with no concept of a higher power then at one point I hated my higher power and I thought it hated me and then when I started recovery I knew there was a higher power and my understanding of that power has continually progressed my contact with it is so much better and I am so grateful for it Uh, I like to express gratitude to it often i like to pray um i'm non-religious prayer still works it's setting intention and expressing gratitude and i mean uh the other thing that's helped me was introspective thought through mindfulness um evaluation of my emotions without judgment and that was crucial for me when i was growing up i would be told uh not to be angry, so I would suppress it. I would told not to be sad, so I, I would suppress that. And Emotions are there for a reason. They are a guiding system. They're trying to show you this situation needs work. I need to evaluate this situation. I need to remove myself from this person. I can't change other people. I can only change me. Um, meditation. Meditation's helped me so much. Um, A healthy diet of, a healthy balanced diet of whole foods. Um, My cholesterol was all out of whack because I ate crap for so long, even though I I have a culinary arts degree. By the time I got home, I wouldn't want to cook. I haven't worked in a while and I really started cooking um, a lot this summer and I make sure to eat a lot of vegetables. I make sure to eat um grains. I add I eat some yogurt. Like I I like the balance. I like the things I cook now too. Yesterday I spent like two and a half, almost three hours cooking meals for a, like breakfast and dinner for about three or four days just to get it out of the way. Um and it was all all whole foods. Um the other thing that's helped me creative outlets. I can't stress this enough to people that are in recovery. That way you can channel some things that you're having a hard time processing. I paint. I uh, play guitar. I'm still learning to play, I should say. I've had it for a while. I, I need more practice. Better than some, not as good as others. which is where I'll always be. Um, I make jewelry. I write poetry. I write fiction. All those things... And they don't have to be the exact same thing. Sculpting, there's so many different types of creative outlets. Everybody should have one. And I think the only reason people don't have creative outlets is because that's been conditioned out of them. Creativity is as inherent in humanity as is breathing air. And I will will believe that forever. Um, Exercise. I had a big barrier in exercise because gym class in high school it always made me feel like shit that I wasn't as good as the other the other young men in my class. Like I was never athletic um, I, until recently. Um, I think around August or September, I heard somebody say, I "Have do exercise that is fun." Um, the exercise that I do is fun is I like to swim. I've started uh, playing basketball, and because I miss so many shots, I have to run after the basketball, and it gets my heart pumping. I like to play disc golf, which is just walking in the woods. I like to hike. Um, I like to take my dog for a walk. I'm going to get into riding bikes next year again, hopefully. Um, the other thing that's helped me is social interaction. That's one thing. Isolation will breed a uh, the mindset for mental illness and it perpetuates addiction. Um, I continually further isolated myself and the only time I would feel comfortable not being isolated is when I was drunk because when I was stoned, I would think everybody was looking at me because one of the key concepts of addiction is self-centeredness and when you're self-centered, that's when Social anxiety really becomes present because you think everybody's looking at you and the one thing I found about my social anxiety is that my perception of other people is how I thought other people were looking at me. Sure some people are going to look at me and say Oh look at that weird bastard or look at this goofy guy. Um, But that's on them, it's not on me. I know who I am, I know where I've been, I I know how I feel, I know how I treat people. I'm not perfect, no, but I am a good person and I I love myself and I try to do the right thing. Um, And if I'm wrong, I admit it if I see it and if somebody calls me on it, if I'm being rational, I I will eventually see it and be like, "Uh, you got me. Like, it keeps me humble um, new experiences. That's something that I'm trying to incorporate more. I started to do a different painting technique that I was somewhat intimidated by because of my perfectionism. New experiences are crucial because they broaden your horizons. And I need to start going to different, uh, 12 step meetings because I've reached this comfort zone, um, and there's no growth in the comfort zone. There's stagnation. There's Plateaus are not a good place to be. Sometimes you need the plateaus to rest, but then you got to keep climbing up that peak. Um, I've equated my the rest of my life and journey to being the Sisyphean task of perpetually climbing a mountain. The, the peak is reached when I die and I'm put in my casket or however I'm my body is dealt with. And I haven't used, um, and I can, you know what I mean? That's success. I, I mean, it doesn't matter what I accomplish between now and then. I need to be healthy. If I don't have a healthy mind and a healthy body, I don't have shit. And if I, even if I don't have a healthy body, having a healthy mind can keep me through it, or can get me through it. Um, not interacting with using friends, and that was hard it's sometimes in my life, not to do. Most of my friends now, they're, they're too busy with other people, and the ones that are negative, I've I, I just disconnected with them. Um, and it's not that they're bad people, I don't think they're bad people. They're not good for me because the thing is, a lot of my friends that use, they have the same mindset, brain, and habits that I did. They have the anger, and anger, hate, all that stuff, it's contagious. And if I'm trying to evaluate things and process things, and if I call people on some things and they're not on the level with me, they're gonna react poorly. And then that's gonna make me react poorly. And if I can't say anything about it and it upsets me, why would I continually put myself in that situation? Um, And again, I don't mean I should not hang out with them. I I don't know. I don't wanna say I should or shouldn't hang out with them. that's for people to determine. It's not worth it to me to be put in situations where people are using around me and they can't respect my recovery. Um, honesty with myself and others, that was something that was difficult for me. Sometimes I have to tell people things that are difficult to say. And if they don't accept my honesty, that's, that doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It means that they don't want to hear it. It doesn't mean I'm right either. I mean, my truths aren't going to be everyone else's truths. And if somebody wants to vilify me for voicing my opinion as long as I do it in a respectful way, that's on them. The other thing that has helped me has been taking vitamins. Um, I know that's fundamental. and, and as People are like, I do that anyhow. I didn't take care of my body. I didn't take vitamins. Um, and, and they do help. Uh, a routine. The one condition I was diagnosed with, which is under question, um, one of the things they say is having a routine. Routine is, I mean, I had a routine when I was using it was get stoned and not accomplish shit. Now I'm busy and I have to schedule my time appropriately, which I'm still working on because as I get into recovery, I'm taking on more responsibilities. Um, Water, speaking of that and reading this, See, I never really drank much water when I was using, except when um, I was hungover and then I would drink a bunch of water in the morning. Or if I was trying not to be hungover, I would drink a bunch of water before I passed out and then take some uh, Tylenol to cure the hangover. A bunch of 12 step meetings have helped me in recovery. Um, They say to do 90 in your first 90 days. I want to say I was close to that. i easing up on it a little bit somewhat because I need to have some growth outside of there and I need to handle some certain things. But if I don't have my recovery, I could lose everything I'm working for. And I'm going to go to my home group tomorrow. I mean, it's all good. Um, I had to accept that I couldn't use. There was a time in recovery um, within my, around my first 30 days where I thought, you know, in a year I'll be able to use. And then I read the one text and it said a second commitment to the first uh, step is necessary for recovery. And I was like, oh. It says you have to uh, build a solid foundation. And I feel that I'm doing that. Sunlight, sunlight produces vitamin D which is uh, relative to happy chemicals. I need nature for my recovery, fresh air, um, walking seeing the aesthetic beauty of the world that we live in. I need a cause to fight for, and my cause is addiction and mental health. Yours could be different. Just find one or two things that you can actively pursue and not just have opinions about and not do anything to, to do anything about it. Like, So many people have all these opinions about causes and they just wanna bitch about it. They don't wanna do anything. Um, I don't know, I can't really elaborate on that anymore. Um, You need to have the ability to help others. You need to do selfless acts in recovery, volunteer, um, share your time with people, do a good deed for a stranger without anybody seeing, without anybody knowing, just you, that person, and your higher power. I need to have forgiveness for myself and others. It was easier for me to forgive other people than it was for me to forgive myself. Um, And I think that that will be true for a lot of people. I had to admit my wrongs um, to me, to myself, and to my higher power. And I know my higher power knew it, but me saying, oh, I really screwed that up when I did this, and me telling somebody else some of the stuff I did, and they're like, oh, I've done similar things. Like, It normalizes it. It's so cathartic. Um, Making amends to those that I harmed. I had to make an amends to my one neighbor, because at one point when I was mentally ill, I took some firewood out of his backyard and I didn't realize that it was his wood. I thought it was the house behind his that's not owned by anybody. I mean, it's still stealing, so it still wasn't right, but it created a big issue and this whole issue snowballed. I was so terrified when I went up there because he's a bigger dude and he was intimidating me. And having to admit that I have uh, an addiction issue and I was going through mental health things, it was frightening to admit that to another man. that isn't in recovery or things. He understood. He was so grateful that I apologized. His wife was so grateful. They said, we were wondering when you're going to get it. Thank you for, for coming over. And I don't have that tension, that fear, that, that parent, like that paranoia about it anymore. Um, more recently, uh, I've tried using EFT to help me get through some of the stuff that therapy, medication, um, support groups, all that hasn't. And I, my life isn't perfect today. I have a lot of growth left to do. I will, I always will. Recovery is a lifelong process. I have good days and bad days like anybody else. But my bad days today are usually better than some of the best days in active addiction. If I was able to recover from the state I was in, I have faith in anyone's ability to do so. I understand some of the substances I had compulsion and obsession over are not traditionally thought thought of as physically addictive. I was psychologically addicted. The brain is part of my body, therefore they were physically addictive. I think a large portion of addiction is due to lack of connection, escapism, Fear and not knowing how to handle life. And I, I mean all addiction across the board is relative to those things, in, in my opinion. Um, the Philosopher Pythagoras had a concept that when one grows spiritually, they should leave behind who they were in an instant. Otherwise, people will think of them highly or think of someone special. I'm not concerned with how you think of me. My recovery was to do... My recovery was due to my surrender to my higher power, the mysteries, not any strength of myself. I myself am human. I am weak. I am powerless. Any power or strength you may see in me is from me getting out of my own way, and I mean that as my meat suit, and letting my higher power work through me. I am a conduit for my creator. I have, this body has a soul in it, as many people think. That soul, in my opinion, is a fractal of the divine source energy. Everything we see is a fractal of that. I was operating on my own free will. And granted, I have free will now to do what I want. I have free will to, to live a better life. But it was I was fighting against who I was supposed to be by doing what I was doing. Um, I'm a conduit for my creator. Every ounce of pain and suffering has a purpose when I stay on my path that I'm on now and it is to help others get out of the hole that is addiction and mental health crisis. Are, they are not responsible for their illness, they are responsible for their recovery. Recovery is a considerable, considerable amount of work, but so is being emotionally disturbed, depressed, hungover, and chasing addictions. I have to put the same energy I did into creating my own misery, into creating my own happiness. I can't detach from my darkness because it keeps me with my feet on the ground. In active addiction, my face was covered by a mask to conceal my shadow, and it weighed me down. Today, my shadow is behind me, weightless, exposed, and I face the sun. And, uh, I think I went on long enough... So I'm going to put this on the pyre um, and I want to uh, just express my gratitude. One of my prayers in uh, around October, November was that one of my friends would find recovery. Um, she just got out of a 45-day uh, in, inpatient treatment and she's in recovery and she's excited about it. I'm so happy for her and so proud of her. Um, those words fall short but... I just want uh, people to know that it does get better Um, and it it can be scary at first but you you can have a better life than you ever imagined and back to the Salvador Salvador Dali quote I don't need drugs or I don't do drugs I am drugs and if you think about it on a scientific level we are all, all drugs I mean it's interesting to think about our our brains are we're made of chemicals like in reality is the ultimate high especially after you've had years of escapism um life's just better for me without it i'm not saying people that can successfully do those things and don't don't have all the depravity i do need to stop but that's on them i'm not saying they shouldn't either um And so this episode is being put on the pyre for real this time. If you want to be on the show, please click the the link. There will be a link for a guest application in the description. If you want to reach out to me personally and professionally, there will be a link for that as well. Links to the tarot card readings, my website, and all social media will be listed below. Please take time to respond to the PodTrack Listener Survey as it will help me understand my audience. I love, respect, and appreciate all of you. Make today magical with an attitude of gratitude and a mentality of manifestation. L- uh, love and light. Namaste. You're a baby, cause the you won't fly. Stuck in your cage, just as I. closed eyes, it gets hard to see. But you can't run away from gravity No, you can't run away from gravity Don't worry No more Oh, don't worry You'll soar